At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. People want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and explain what the heck is going on. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. It's earnings season. That means we need to figure out the haves, which will most likely make money after reporting great numbers, and the have-nots, which will most likely blow it. Incredibly, I already have the two lists. Not so hard to tell. Just look at today's action with the Dow Vance 48 points, SB gained 0.85%, and the tech heavy NASDAQ jumped 1.58%. To be sure, we got a soft producer price index number today, which made stocks more viable, but it's the same ones that are viable over and over and over again. Tonight, you're very lucky, you viewers, because I'm going to give them to you both the haves and the have nots. First, why don't we start with something positive? Let's start with the halves. Sorry, I know it's overdone, but the most halves are the Magnificent Seven. Let's start with Apple. This company's crushing it because it's got the best subscription product in the world, and it keeps adding great content and therefore many more subs. We just heard today in David Faber's excellent interview with Disney's Bob Iger that he needs partners for sports. Can you imagine running live sports through New Vision Pro with Apple making money on the subscription side? You'll be on the sidelines, not in the peanut gallery. And trust me, once you've worn the Vision Pro like I have, life will never be the same again. It is that incredible, hence the sky-high price tag. Don't forget, Iger was in the introduction video for the product. Doesn't that suggest a potential Disney tie-up with Apple? Second is Alphabet, which is increasingly known as an AI winner, not a loser, one that can leverage generative AI to make people and companies smarter. I don't think they are as AI savvy as Microsoft, but investors are flocking to the company because of its longtime prowess, as unknown as it seemed to be until fairly recently. Amazon! Hey, it just had an amazing Prime Day. Best numbers ever, showing you once again that e-commerce is incredibly strong. I think Amazon Web Services, which is still in declining growth mode, will turn things around, not this quarter, but in the fourth quarter. So the stock has to be bought now in anticipation of that turn. Meta, it's just going nuts, people. That's because we know it is cutting costs aggressively while revenues are accelerating. Thanks to Reels, their TikTok killer, and also Instagram, which advertisers are happy with again because they've come up with workarounds against Apple's privacy restrictions. House of pleasure. Who knows how great threads can be given its mandate to be a kinder, gentler Twitter. One where you can post and read comments without feeling like you're swimming in the Gowanus Canal. <sighs> that air don't matter. Tesla. What can I say? It's the lowest electric vehicle market after all these years where it's lowering prices, admire, admirably defending its market share. The internal combustion engine folks are all still way behind and can't scale up to production. The production. They just can't. They can't do it fast enough. Hey, one day they will. 
but not now. Microsoft's ridiculously strong. It's got the best AI. It's also got a hammerlock on all of its businesses. I just wish they could make it so the team stops popping up every time I turn on my PC. How bad is that for Zoom? And that silly news page they put together? I mean, how do I get that? Hey, I can get IT to take that thing. I can't. IT is not strong enough to stop the junk that Microsoft puts into my PC. But how about this one? NVIDIA. Okay, enough said. No, really. NVIDIA is the most spectacularly obvious winner in ages. Oh, and let's just add some smaller contenders that are magnificent to them. And let's call them magnificent seven adjacencies. Oracle, which has added its way into the cloud conversation. Hey, how about Salesforce Service Now? Two of our old favorite cloud kings. They're winners, along with Adobe, which needs to be considered a winner thanks to its powerful new AI powered Firefly product. By the way, did I mention NVIDIA? Next group of haves, travel and leisure. This is the long on money, short on time thesis I keep propounding that others now want to call revenge travel. I like my notion better. I think mine more captures the kind of zeitgeist of the moment. If you look at Delta Airlines today, it crushed the numbers that it was just laid them to waste. It was an amazing beat. Why? Because people want to see the world while they're still alive and healthy enough to do it. And what's true for Delta, of course, will be true for every other airline industry in Boom mode. Frankly, anything that has to do with travel and leisure is a winner, whether we're talking about Booking.com or Airbnb or Carnival Cruise or Marriott. They all work. Hey, so do Chipotle and Darden because they're publicly traded places where people go in order to have a great experience dining without paying a fortune. Now, I'd like to include American Express as a travel play, but I worry the market is so concerned about potential credit issues that I'm not worried about. But who am I? I'd rather have DraftKings or, speak of the devil, any casino, win MGM or Las Vegas Sands. Hey, let me give you some new ones. Avis and Hertz. I've been pushing this Hertz for a while. They've been flogging. It's been really killing me. But now these two stocks are being realized as cheap. Now, of course, I'd like to include Disney in the halves, but... It needs to buy sports programming, and the Screen Actors Guild just went on strike. It's linked to cable, I mean, which is way too hard right now. It's got an ugly balance sheet. At least for a while. Then there are the semis. Ah, the semis. Not too long ago, we had a semiconductor glide. Ah! Now they're coming out of glut mode. I like Micron, AMD, OnSemi, Texas Instruments, Marvell Tech, Lam Research, Broadcom, and of course, go ahead, let's hear it. NVIDIA. See the theme there? Next up is home builders. Now, look, you take mortgage rates up to 7%. It's supposed to slow the group down, right? Nope. Mortgage applications that came out today actually increased this week. This is crazy. What a nightmare for Federal Reserve. But not for you if you own Toll Brothers, Lenar, Pulte, Horton. Winners all. And now we have to add medical devices and friends to the list of has because people are going back to the hospital for non-urgent surgery now that COVID's over. I like Edwards Life Sciences, Stryker, Intuitive Surgical, and the hospitals like HCA. Well, it could all be winners because that's where you go to get your medical devices implanted. All right, now let's address the have-nots. Sell, 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 sell. First, we have the flip side of the medical device bull market, the health insurance bear market, because they're paying for all these operations. We'll find out how long this group could stay in bear market mode, or at least in the Bow Wow Chateau, when United Health gives us its latest outlook for any more. Oh, like 24 hours from 12 hours from now. This group is so shockingly weak that it's even getting killed by, by pickleball injuries. You know, I wanted to play pickleball this weekend. Do you know you have to have whites to play pickleball at the place I went? I, I don't have any whites. 
I, 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 got, I don't know what I have. Second, Dumb and Dumber, AT&T and Verizon. Yep, phone companies. They have some of the most withering earnings power I've ever seen, and now they need to be concerned about decades-old cables covered in toxic lead. Anyone with a law degree must be feeling like, ooh, I want to sue these guys. Hey, I do, and I never practice. Third, banks. The regional's not the national since J.P. Morgan hit a 52-week high today. But the smaller banks, they're being crushed. I think they'll be ridiculed when they report because they aren't going to be able to handle all the new regulations coming their way, not to mention continued deposit worries, $250,000 FDIC cap. What a nightmare. Fourth, drug stocks. The federal government's negotiating prices for Medicare under the IRA. The FTC is trying to block mergers. And next year's an election year where Big Pharma tends to become a public enemy, like a pinata. These stocks can't get out of their own way. What a nightmare again. Black Mirror. Fifth, the bond market equivalents. That means the staples, including, no, let's exclude the fabulous PepsiCo. Uh, also, I don't like the utilities. They're a disaster. Definitely have not. The staples can't justify the price earnings multiples, and their dividends just aren't big enough to protect you. Finally, six are the retailers. They can't seem to stabilize no matter what. Kohl's, Target, Norris, Macy's, enter at your own risk. Bad back to school season. Students have to pay back their loans. Boy, how do you like that? You have to pay back your loan. What a crummy deal. Brick and mortars being eviscerated by Amazon. Who? Retail? Funeral invitations, anyone? Now, I know this is a glib list. It's preposterous that things can be this cut and dry. There are exceptions, as I mentioned, with PepsiCo. I think Costco will do well, so will Walmart. But the bottom line, this market's really about as clear as I've ever seen it. The funniest thing, or, or some would say the oddest thing, Everything you ever hear about the economy, whether it be the Fed or inflation, the yield curve, has almost nothing to do with what's actually making you money. Nothing. Because it's arbitrary, it's capricious, and at last, it's bangable. Mandy in Maryland. Mandy! Hi, Jim Boya. Thank you so much for taking my call. Oh, thank you, Mandy. Thank you for all your advice and saving us from ourselves for not losing more money than we have to. That's what the game's about. Thank you for understanding, and thank you for being our first caller tonight. How can I help? Thank you so much. Uh, I have uh, a stock in um, uh, shares of Home Depot and Lowe's, and I was wondering, I would like to add and buy some more of F&D, Floor and Decor. I got to tell you, this Florida, of course, is a pretty good outfit. You know, at first, initially, I was a little suspect. I am still a Lowe's guy right now. I think that Lowe's, Marvin Ellison's doing a great job. But I, there's nothing. What can I say? Florida decor are the two areas, decor and floor, that are doing really well at the Home Depot and Lowe's. I'm not going to argue with Mandy. I think Mandy has horse sense. All right, everything you ever hear about the economy, whether it be the Fed or inflation or the yield curve, means nothing, at least when you're trying to make money. That's because what really works is arbitrary, capricious, and I just gave you the list. It's called bankable. On Man Money Tonight, we're wrapping up our series on legislation beneficiaries by identifying some miscellaneous themes that are poised to benefit from a new flow of government spending. Then bonds, treasury bonds, after a tough stretch for long-term treasuries, could things be looking up in the long run? It'd be a shocker, wouldn't it be? Let's go off the charts to find out. Yesterday, we learned about a major cybersecurity breach within the federal government, with hackers getting access to a host of email accounts, including that of Commerce Secretary and Kramer Fave General Raimondo. I'm learning more about how something like this happened and how we can prevent it with none other than Kramer Fave Palo Alto Networks. So stay with Kramer.
Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All week, I've been highlighting the biggest winners from the Biden administration's huge spending bills. Because that money's finally starting to really kick in. Now, we've been over the infrastructure bill, the CHIPS Act, and a big chunk of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. But there's still a lot left over. Let's start with another set of IRA beneficiaries that I didn't get to last night. We now have huge tax incentives for people who install high-efficiency heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems. Yes, HVAC. And this is on top of all the money in the various COVID relief packages for various ventilation upgrades, especially in schools, by the way, which is a fantastic uh, market. The two big winners here are Carrier Global and Train Technologies, both of which hit new 52-week highs this week after a miraculous rally since the end of May. Carrier Global and Train are widely perceived as being cyclical stocks that are hostage to the broader economy, especially the ailing commercial real estate space, so that had driven them down. But now it seems the economy is in better shape than Wall Street assumed. And by the way, uh, these have been rebounding, of course, because of of this tremendous financial tailwind. Carrier also announced a big European acquisition, a couple of restructuring in April that initially the market disliked. But now people seem to have come around to this one, as they should, because the acquisition gives Carrier an amazing global heat pump franchise, the cleanest form of heating. By the way, the stock's up 28% since we spoke to CEO Dave Gitlin in late May. That guy knows how to run a company. Hey, listen, both Carrier and Train are well run, and they're now pretty substantially since the end of May. But with all the tax credits for the merchandise in the Inflation Reduction Act, well, let's just say the... 
the funds for ventilation improvements in schools, thanks to the COVID-era stimulus bills. These guys have powerful tailwinds that could be with us for years and years. I really like these. This has been a favorite of mine ever since Gitlin got in. Okay, what else? Rural broadband is another major federal spending initiative that's been, uh, there's a priority that has got multiple bills, including the infrastructure package. Now, just over two weeks ago, the White House announced specific amounts of funding that each state, territory, and the District of Columbia will get through the infrastructure bill's broadband equity access and deployment program. No one's paying any attention to this stuff. We're talking about more than $42 billion worth of grants that span the entire country, and no one talks about it? That's just plain wrong. So who stands to benefit? Well, last November, I introduced you to a company called DICOM Industries, which was originally a homework item. This is an engineering construction, we call them ENC, engineering construction firm that mainly serves the telecommunications industry, meaning when they lay down rural broadband lines, these guys stand to get some of that business. The stock's now up 28% since I recommended it last fall. But remember, this rural broadband spending has only just been allocated to the states. It definitely hasn't even put it in DICOM's numbers yet. The analysts aren't talking about it. But while I'm happy to crow about DICOM, this is a show about accountability. So I got issued me a culpa on another stock I recommend at the same time. And it seems so good to me. It was called Clearfield, which makes telco equipment like fiber optic cables. The stock had already made a big move back then in anticipation of all the rural broadband spending coming our way. I thought it could keep running. But instead, it fizzled. Back in May, Clearfield had to slash its full-year earnings forecast dramatically because its customers over-ordered during the pandemic and now needed to digest that old inventory. Definitely caught me by surprise. I got this wrong, okay? I just got this wrong. That said, now the Clearfield stock has been cut in half, I'm not sure I want to back away from it. I'm mean, not down here. The problem with Clearfield is that we got the timing wrong. We didn't know it still had COVID inventory hangover to work through. So many companies did. And we were nearly a year too early to benefit from the infrastructure spending that we knew was on the way. Now, though, that money is being closer to being spent. I got to take a look at this thing and say, when we looked it over, well, we liked it twice. You know, we liked it down 50 percent. Don't we have to love it? I think so. That said, you need to have a lot of confidence by a telco equipment maker right now because companies like ADT and Verizon are really struggling, meaning they're desperately looking to cut costs, too. I don't know if all the Fed spending on rural broadband is enough to offset that week. There's still one more caveat because this one I did get burned on. Finally, I need to reiterate my support for the military-industrial complex because the defense contractors are set to benefit for years to come. Thanks to the war in Ukraine. Now, we've sent so many stockpiles over that the Pentagon's going to have to be replenishing this stuff for many years, not weeks, not months, but years. Now, three weeks ago, I pounded the table on RTX again, a company formerly known as Raytheon, because they've got both a terrific aerospace business and an incredible high-tech defense business. I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but you know what, RTX? Now, unlike everything else I've mentioned in this series, the defense contractors don't see much benefit from the big spending programs that, that passed in 2021 or 2022. Instead, I like the group because of something that didn't happen in a much more recent piece of legislation, the Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023, a.k.a. the debt ceiling deal. Specifically, there weren't any big cuts to defense spending. Like we saw in the last big debt ceiling showdown in 2011. The defense cohort roared last year, but these stocks have been lagging behind the market in 2023, precisely because of the debt ceiling-related worries. I pointed out this was ridiculous because the defense stocks did great even after the budget cuts that followed the 2011 debt ceiling deal. Plus, we weren't bankrolling a land war back in, the, in Eastern Europe back then. 
it turns out that we didn't even have to worry about defense spending cuts as part of the debt ceiling deal because the ultimate agreement allowed for $886 billion in defense spending next year. That's the exact amount that President Biden had already requested in his budget and up more than 3% from the previous year's defense budget. That's why I think the defense stocks make sense as major beneficiaries of government spending programs. It's just a different set of programs that mostly relate to refilling our stockpiles after sending so much of the stuff to Ukraine. Best of all, you can buy most of these stocks into weakness. This is RTX, Lockheed Martin, which he asked about just last night, and Northrop Grumman still have stocks that are negative, in negative territory for 2023. Bottom line, at a moment like this, you need stocks that can keep trading higher regardless of the ups and downs of the broader economy. And few things make that easier than huge federal spending programs that pour vast quantities of money into specific businesses. Now that the money's getting into the hands of the states at last, it'll soon reach these businesses themselves, potentially giving their, year, their stocks multiple years of gains and gains that can still be had by you especially if this now red-hot stock market ever cools and you can get in at better prices. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, yo-ho-ho, all of you searching the horizons for yield. Is a plunder to be made on Treasure Island? A word on bonds next. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. I started in this business in the early 80s. I've literally two blocks from here. The Federal Reserve was in the process of ruthlessly raising interest rates to stamp out what was then horrific inflation, like a much more extreme version of the last year and a half. I bring this up because back then, you had an incredible opportunity to buy longer-term treasuries with high yields right before a fabulous multi-decade rally in the bond market. Once the Fed beat inflation, bond prices soared as bond yields plummeted. It was a bondholder's paradise if you got in early. I sold a ton of 30-year paper to my Goldman Sachs clients back then, paper that yielded 14%. Some people say it was the best call in my life. And we could be headed for something similar in the not-too-distant future. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with Carly Garner, and she's a brilliant technician, helped us tremendously. She's also the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, which is a book I like very much, and she's feeling very confident about something that people otherwise aren't, longer-term treasuries. Of course, thanks to the most aggressive rate hike campaign in the Federal Reserve's history, investors have circled back to high-yield, low-risk assets, especially short-term treasuries, where you get a better payout with less risk. Makes sense. Right now, a one-year treasury yields more than 5%. Pretty good piece of paper. Last week, we had a nasty sell-off in longer-term treasuries, which is why both the 10-year and the 30-year now pay you close to 4%. Plus, the first half of the year was very good for the stock market. Still one more reason why long-dated treasuries have been held back, because stocks are the real competition here. 
But Garner thinks longer-term treasuries could be uniquely positioned to give you both high yields and, amazingly, higher prices going forward, making this one of the best times in history to be a U.S. bondholder, just like the early 80s at least on a percentage basis. Now, going into this year, all sorts of analysts and money managers were caught flat-footed. Everybody thought we were headed right for a recession. You know, over and over again, you heard people on air say that. And they all said it was going to be a nasty one. They were wrong. So these funds went underweight equities coming into the year. And not that long ago, money managers held the largest net short position ever recorded in the SP 500 futures. The stock market was hated, but not by Carly. Now we look back and we see that those bears have been proven wrong. Many of them gave up on their trades or even changed sides, buying stocks at higher levels simply because they didn't want to miss out on a miraculous run FOMO. They also want to show investors that they own the best performing stocks because otherwise they look like idiots. Now, though, Garner, who got this thing so right, she worries that you're coming in late if you double down the stock market up here. She's not outright bearish, but she suspects the best money's already been made. I'm kind of in that camp to some degree. And given the dynamics of this market, she thinks a lot of money that would normally be sitting in bonds has been already swapped over to stocks with investors chasing those high returns. you got to remember, the SP 500 has been giving us historically huge gains for the past five years, with the sole exception of 2022. We've gotten used to the stock market being much stronger than its historical average return, which is more like an 8 to 10% per year. By contrast, Garner very much likes the look of longer-term treasuries right now. She thinks the 4% plus yields and the possibility of meaningful price appreciation make them quite attractive here. By comparison, the SP 500 only has a 1.5% yield, and she says it's got much more downside than treasury bonds, given that the Fed's made real progress in its war against inflation. As for upside, Garner thinks we've exhausted most of it, at least for the moment, when it comes to stocks. That's not all, though. Take a look at this chart of the seasonal pattern in 30-year Treasury bonds, okay? Garner points out that 30-year often presses relentlessly higher in July and August, almost regardless of the fundamentals. So far this year, the seasonal strength has been non-existent. But Garner says there's a good reason to believe that might change very soon. For one thing, money managers are aggressively short longer-term treasuries. Take a look at the weekly chart of the 10-year notes, note futures with the CFTC's commitment of traders. That's what this is about. Commitment of traders report that's down at the bottom. It's called the COT report. Okay, The green line, it shows you the net position of large speculators, meaning professional money managers. Right now, they're net short the 10-year futures by about 780,000 futures contracts. This is the largest net short position for the 10-year in its history. The second largest net short position was in 2018. That was 100,000 contracts more than this one. Historically, when money managers collectively get this negative, they tend to be wrong. And whatever they've shorted rebounds in price as they unwind the position and and rebounds rapidly. Back then, the shorts got annihilated in 2018. And that's what Garner expects to see in the 10-year futures now. Again, the last time money managers shorted the tenure anywhere near this time was right before j Powell stopped tightening in 2018. While the Fed definitely isn't done tightening at this point, we're definitely getting closer to the end. Next, check out the monthly chart of the dollar index, which measures the U.S. dollar against a basket of foreign currencies. All else equal, lower dollar is good news for anything priced in dollars. Anything, it, it, and, uh, including treasuries. Now, according to Garner, the dollar index is on the brink of falling back to its lower pre-Ukraine war trading range. Right there. If we get a weekly close below 100, where it's currently trading, she thinks that that would seal the deal for another move up like that. Okay? Again, a weak dollar would be terrific for treasuries. 
Finally, don't forget that high inflation is what originally caused the massacre in bond prices last year, a massacre that sent bond yields soaring. A year later, we know that inflation was peaking at precisely the moment Wall Street was most worried that it couldn't be tamed. Now, I think the Fed still has work to do in order to truly crush inflation. You know, I'm worried more about wage inflation, even as we got a great producer price index number today that I consider far more meaningful than yesterday's seemingly encouraging 3% consumer price index reading. But things are definitely moving in the right direction, as we've been saying. And if that's the case, Garner's probably going to be right about her longer-term Treasury bet, although the return won't be nowhere as good as those 30-year bonds that I sold with 14% yields. Bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Carly Garner suggest that we could be looking at a tremendous multi-year rally in longer-term treasuries, think the 10-year or the 30-year, that have been beaten down because for the moment, they've given you much worse yields than, say, the two-year. But if this moment turns out to be like the early 80s, the last time the Fed truly whipped inflation, then you definitely want some long-dated bond exposure right here, right now. Let's go to Keith in Pennsylvania. Keith. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Hi, Keith. Hey, thank you so much for taking my call, and I can't thank you and your staff enough for all the hours of work you guys put in to educate and inform me and my family. And I just uh, you're very kind. And i got to tell you, my staff is working so, so hard. So this is really terrific that you mentioned them. I thank you for that. What's going on? Well, recently I acquired some shares in Burlington for $154 a share after seeing the stock had fallen 39% from 239 in February to 143 and formed what I perceive as a bottom. And I was wondering if I should add to my position and what your outlook is of the company, given the off-price giant is now slated to take over the lion's share of the former Bed Bath & Beyond locations. Well, I will tell you, first of all, again, thank you for your kind comments. I think that Burlington is good, but I think TJX, which my travel trust owns, is great. And I don't want you to add any more to Burlington stores. I'd rather see you in TJX. But congratulations on making all the money you already have. Let's go to Trey in Texas. Trey. Jim, Sunday my wife and I were talking about flying to Aspen this weekend. Yeah, I'll make it as far as the airport. I'll be shining shoes at IAH after this week's heavy losses. <laughs> right. Speaking of heavy losses, does Weight Watchers move up here? Yeah, you know what? I am suspicious because they don't make money. And I have been adamant that if you want to do the weight loss, you go with the best of breed. And that best of breed is Charitable Trust holding Eli Lilly. Don't mess around. Go with the best. Now, the charts, as interpreted by Carly Garner, suggest that we could be looking at a tremendous multi-year rally in longer-term treasuries right now, one that I don't know another soul believes could happen. The Fed really can get inflation checked, like we saw with the PPI this morning, though, and you definitely do want some longer-term bond exposure. Now, there's much more man money yet, including my exclusive with Palo Alto Networks. See, Microsoft's getting sassy with this new cybersecurity offering, which brought down the entire cybersecurity cohort on the news, including PANW. So where does Kramer fave Palo Alto Networks fit in this changing landscape? Let's check in with the CEO. Then, from Activision to Bausch Health, there are a host of companies caught in the middle of litigation. So how the heck should you handle them? I'm going to give you my take, and it's not easy to understand. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lighting Round. So stay with Kramer. Days ago, software giant Microsoft announced it's expanding its core cybersecurity offering into what's known as the security service edge space, 
which makes up a huge chunk of this industry. Microsoft isn't exactly a major player in cybersecurity, but they've got incredibly deep pockets. They can bundle the stuff with their more popular enterprise software. So a lot of people got spooked. Yesterday, all the cybersecurity stocks got obliterated, including Best of Breed, Palo Alto Networks, down 7%. It's a big position for our travel trust. Then yesterday, we found out that Chinese hackers were able to compromise the Microsoft email accounts of personnel at the State Department and the Commerce Department, including Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo. You'd think that would be good news for the rest of the group and bad news for the Microsoft cybersecurity expansion. What do we make of all this? I'm not sure, but I know who to ask. Nikesh Arora, the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks, because he understands this business better than anybody. Mr. Arora, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me. Okay, so Nikesh, obviously, when Microsoft makes any sort of announcement that it's moving big into something, people just say, well, they've got to be able to dominate it. So I have to ask you, what does it mean that they want to move into the secure service edge business that you kind of, let's say, you dominate? Well, I think, Ben, first of all, uh, as you know, you and I have been talking about this for a few years, that I think this whole sassy market is going to be very huge. And we sowed the seeds and invested in this five years ago. First things first, this is a huge validation for the market. I mean, we've been talking about a 5 to $8 billion time. I think it's probably a $20 billion time now that Microsoft's paying attention to it. So, hey, thank you very much, Microsoft. You validated <laughs> something. You believed in five years. Uh, from what I read in early days, but, you know, they're dipping their toes into the sassy space. We've been here for a while. Clearly, there are other industry players who've been in this space for a while, but, you know, this is a full suite offering in the market. It requires DLP. It requires SD-WAN. It requires having, you know, GASB in there. So, you know, from what I read, uh, they've, they're, just, they've, they're sort of heading off into a good start, but they have a long way to go. Well, I mean, one of the things that I know is, is that a lot of people uh, are suspect of some of Microsoft's offering in security, that there have been companies that have actually feasted off of Microsoft's problems in security. So why should we necessarily presume that they're going to be best to breed right from the get-go? Well, Jim, you know, when I worked at Google many years ago and I used to try and sell advertising, we always struggled to build a multi-search platform advertising business because we had such a core business in our own search. And sort of in security, somewhat similar. If you have a lot of technology products of your own, you do a really good job of trying to secure them, but you don't do as good a job of securing everything else. So we've always maintained that for us to be the independent security player, to be able to deliver security against every cloud is important, every other vendor is important, every other tech stack is important. So we're gonna go off on our merry way, trying to create this industry platforms, which serves each public cloud provider in a consistent way, each network in a consistent way. And I think you will find that every other CSP has a suite of solutions that works best for them, but may not work as well for other players. And many of our customers today, most customers are multi-cloud. So well, I think I feel very comfortable. They should improve their security for their customers and allows us to build a much better platform across them and other people to serve service customers who are more discerning and across multiple clouds. Well, one of the things I thought was possible is, is that why would you necessarily have to be opponents? If I were Microsoft, I'd rather team up with you and go against you. Well, you know, Jim, in today's world, there's tremendous amount of cooperation. Like today, we secure our customers in the Azure cloud. Not only that, we are able to provide you a native firewall that spins up in Azure if you want to follow out the firewall, which many of our customers do to maintain the consistency across our hardware, our SASE, and our software. So I think, I think it's important to understand, Jim, while Microsoft's entering the SASE market, the world is going towards a multi-enforcement point, zero trust network. We can give hardware firewalls, software firewalls, SASE capability to deliver that across 
all of the stuff with one single pane of glass is what our customers are asking for. So it's great that they're building a SaaS yard. All right. Well, I also have to worry at all times, I think, about private companies. There's an outfit called JMP who wrote a note today saying that there are multiple sources indicating that a high-flying private cloud security company is doing very well from a competitive win rate perspective and eating everybody's lunch and says they're taking deals from you. Do we have to worry about someone that, let's say, is a unicorn that might be out there doing great things? Well, Jim, uh, we, we grew up in Silicon Valley, and Silicon Valley is all about great startups, building great products, trying to compete with large established companies. Like when I took this role and you and I have talked about this, I said we will maintain our innovation edge and maintain our agility. Startups validating our strategy, validating markets that we're in is helpful. They go evangelize the market, but I think the market is moving on. The customers want a consolidated story. They want a platform that delivers end-to-end security. Today, no customer can go stitch 40 vendors together. It's very hard. It's in part next to impossible. And you know, we haven't even talked about our favorite topic of AI, which is already upending all these small best or beat capabilities that startups are bringing to force. So I think it's great that there are many startups providing point solutions and that market will continue to exist. But I think the market is driving towards consolidation, diving towards collecting more data. And we are the largest security company from a data congestion, data collection point of view as well. All right, so I'm, I am not as concerned. Thank you very much. Now, Nikesh, here's something I am concerned about. Chinese hackers getting into, I mean, we just, Janet Yellen was just there for four days. Senior officials at the State Department, as well as the Secretary of Commerce, who's probably the most involved with what China should be allowed to and not should be allowed to, hacked? I mean, how do we stop this? Jim, there's one answer. It's called AI. The way we stopped it, stop it is by trawling all the data we get to see, making sure that we check for anomalous behavior. When there is anomalous behavior, we have to investigate it and stop it. I think this has gone away from being a human problem. It's a problem that requires us to spend a lot of time parsing our data. We have been working very hard, and I'll tell you, the only update I can give you, the interest in AI is even stronger than I expected in cybersecurity. It's all I'm going to sell you because I'm my quiet period, and I just want to say I continue to be enthusiastic about AI. I continue to maintain all the trends we saw at the end of the last quarter are persisting. Customers are discerning. They want consolidation. They want good security. And the IT budgets, whilst always under a microscope, uh, security continues to hold its ground. Okay, how about this White House cybersecurity initiative uh, to secure the full benefits of a safe and secure digital ecosystem for all Americans? Uh, The White House talked about it today. Uh, Is that the White House recognizing exactly what you just said to AI? Well, we've talked about this with the White House for a long time. They have actually collaborated with many of us in the private sector to make sure that this is copacetic and and consistent with how we see the world. I think what you're seeing is a continued, uh, I'd say, awareness driving, continued focus from the White House to make sure that we all understand that supporting national security is not just in the hands of the White House, it's in the hand of every private company, every agency of the government, every every part of the entire infrastructure of this country, and we all have to do our part and step up and make sure we're focusing on it because uh, this is this is one of the areas where you can disrupt, upend companies and businesses and critical infrastructure without stepping foot on our soil. Right now, I may just be talking my book, people can say, but you mentioned artificial intelligence is really the only way to stop these things, and you've been talking to me about AI about as long as Jensen Wong's been talking about AI, which we're talking about five years. And I wonder, do people realize that this really is in practice right now? And it's not like a lot of the companies who come on air and say, listen, and we're beginning to look at AI. 
Well, Jim, uh, look, AI has been deployed in security for a while now, and just this focus on generative AI and chat GPT has forced attention. Every CIO, every CEO I meet says, what do you guys do with AI? And it doesn't suffice to say we've been working on AI for a while. It actually helps to be able to show, look, I can bring down your incidents. I can improve your security posture if you let me come in, analyze the data that you have in your enterprise and deliver outcomes based on AI and start working on automating a lot of this stuff so we don't have to rely on constant human intervention, which takes time. Well, look, this is very good. I feel that uh, you read these things, the story about Microsoft, the story about uh, commerce, and you feel pretty, you pretty feel lost. But I know that you have been true north for us. It's been one of the greatest performers in the S&P this year. I want to thank Nikesh Aurora, Chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Nikesh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Jim. Appreciate it. May have money's back in for the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, down to the lightning round. Christmas. We're going to start with Larry in Tennessee. Larry. Yes, uh, I was calling about SMCI. Oh, SMCI. Well, you know what we say? I see your SMCI and I raise you with NVIDIA. Yes, it's still in the same category and it's the better one. James in Florida. James. Hey, Kramer, I'm glad to be on your show. How are you? Well, I'm thrilled you're on the show. What's shaking with you, partner? I was wondering about FDP, Fresh Down Monty, and I love you, man. Yeah, uh, you know, 3% yield, a staple group, not working, very hard to game. Stock never gets premium model, I think pass. Say no way. Let's go to George in Massachusetts. George. Uh, hi, Jim. Um, I own stock in a company that provides construction and maintenance services to electric utilities, which I believe they're going to need to upgrade the grid. What do you think of MYR Group, symbol is MYRG? I don't know that company. MYRG. I don't know MYRG. I'm going to have to do some homework on that one. Interesting space, but I don't know it. Let's go to Steve in New York. Steve. Good evening, Professor. First-time caller, long-time club member, and I wanted to ask you about this under-the-radar infrastructure play. With the relative strength of 98 and EPS growth rate of 38%, is ticker symbol STRL, Sterling International, a buy, or should I wait for the market to take a breather? Two in a row here. I'm going to have to do more than this one because I know I like Jacobs. I like AECOM. I like Master. I don't know STRL. Man, I got to tell you, this is it's pathetic and embarrassing. Two stocks that I don't know. It's driving me crazy. Can I have something, please, that I like? I know. See, that's the whole thing. People don't realize. I actually don't see the questions beforehand. So I just got stumped twice, and now I feel like a real chump. Let's go to Betsy in California. Betsy. Well, I've got the recipe to make you feel a whole lot better, Jim. Okay. You said the other day that people are investing in their homes. Do you realize that in a month, our age stock, one of your former faves, has gone up over $100? Yes, you know, and it's driving me crazy because, you know, I got so negative on RH. Why? Because I was positive on RH, and the CEO was negative on RH. And I was going to the CEO, and I said, listen, I'm positive. And he was saying, well, I don't know, I'm negative. Next thing you know, I'm right. He's wrong 100 points, and it's not done. Let's go to Dave in Illinois. Dave! 
Dr. Kramer, my mad 2 million Twitter followers friend. How are you? Dave, it's always good to hear from you. I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm good. Today was good in the market for me. That's good. I like that. What are you up to? Jim, this $35 billion growth company specializes in observability and security software. They delivered strong financial results in Q1 last May and increased their customer base. Recently, you predicted this company would turn profitable in 2024. Jim, please opine on this canine called Datadog. You know what? Someone should have bought Datadog when it was smaller. It is such a good company. Cloud-based monitoring, considered best in show. No one bought it, and now it's on its own, and it's a good one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. At the top of the show, I talked about the winners and the losers in this market. They are cut and dry. It drives me crazy that it's so black and white. The winners keep winning, the losers keep losing, and it's obvious who's who. But you know what's not black and white? What's a total dice roll? Companies involved in litigation. This stuff has just gotten too hard for anyone to fathom. Right now, we have more companies caught up in the market moving litigation than I have ever seen in any time that I've been in my career. Let me run some down so you know exactly how hard this is. First, there's Activision Blizzard. Microsoft's trying to buy the video game maker. The FTC's trying to stop the deal. A couple days ago, a federal court just spat down the FTC and gave the high sign for the deal to go on. The FTC is now pondering an appeal. Memo to FTC, don't even think about it. The federal judge basically said that the FTC lacked real rigor in its analysis, didn't understand the law, and didn't even play fair in their attempt to stop the deal. This case does have implications also for Amgen's attempt to purchase Horizon Pharma for $28 billion, another deal the FTC is seeking to block on antitrust grounds. If the FTC wins this one, then you'll see many small, medium-sized biotech stocks flatline because they typically trade on takeover speculation. This FTC is so zealous that there'll be the chilling effect on anyone even uh, contemplating a deal. That is assuming they can win enough of these cases in court. I think Amgen gets Horizon. The FTC has once again overreached. But it's too hard to make a decision on the stock of Horizon because of the litigation risk. Then there are the lawsuits plaguing 3M, the forever chemical cases, which don't seem to ever go away, even when the company agrees to pay billions of dollars to some entities for groundwater spoilage. Forever liabilities, even as some of the gun... Oh, they've been spending big bucks to try to settle these things. 3M also has tens of thousands of cases filed against it from veterans who claim they have hearing problems from faulty 3M earplugs. It's a nightmare that the company can't seem to get its arms around, at least not yet. Hey, or how about J&J, one of my favorite companies? It is in the throes of a case right now in Alameda, California, by a man who's claiming that he got a fatal illness from J&J's baby powder, which may or may not have contained asbestos. The verdict could be devastating for the company, or if the California plaintiff loses, it could lead to a settlement of tens of thousands of tout cases in New Jersey bankruptcy court, something that would be fantastic for J&J. The stakes are so huge, and the verdict could come down any minute now. Or how about Bausch Health? A terrible stock because of not one but two lawsuits. One by disgruntled shareholders who are upset about the spin out of Bausch and Loam, and one by generic drug makers that want to mimic Zyfaxin, Bausch Health's most important and lucrative franchise. This company's just a walking lawsuit. No way to game it whatsoever. 
I know it hasn't happened yet, but I have to believe that ATT and Verizon are going to face lawsuits for their lead-covered cables. We've seen some amazing stories in the journal about this. The plaintiff's bar right now is probably beating the hustings to find prospective clients who've been hurt by the cabling. And why not? And by the way, that's how that happened with J&J and Talc. That was a Reuters story that brought a huge number of plaintiffs against J&J. One of the reasons why I like having a charitable trust, by the way, is that it can remind me of all the pain and suffering you might feel when you own a stock that ends up hostage to a game of lawsuit roulette. Right now, we own Bausch and J&J for the trust. We have to check the news flow constantly because these suits are totally ungameable, and yet they are, in some ways, in control of the stocks themselves. Sure, you can buy any of the stocks I just mentioned. However, you have to understand that part of your buy thesis will rest on this, on the dice roll, a dice roll that is a court which may come up with a decision that you think is irrational. The only people who have true insight here are the judge and the jury, and they're not allowed to trade off it or talk about it. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.